0: Welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. This is your host, Ken Wise, and it's fall in Texas. We've had a couple of cold fronts come through, and everybody's very happy about that. More important, it's football season in Texas. And that's second only to religion, and it's a very close second. But October in Texas used to mean something else it meant the Texas prison rodeo. So today on Wise About Texas, we're going to prison. it's not for the reason you think we're going to go to the texas prison rodeo so we're going to go back five decades from the 30s to the 80s and we're going to get wise about texas well for over 50 years the texas prison system held a rodeo at the huntsville unit in huntsville texas now the huntsville unit was has a nickname. It's called the Walls, and if you've ever seen the units right in downtown Huntsville, and it's got these enormous red brick walls, so we call it the Walls. And we're gonna do something a little unusual for this episode. You know, usually uh, I do my goal for this podcast is to do at least journal level research. And one of the podcast episode outlines that I used, in fact, the one for the first episode on the first Judges of Texas, I actually turned into a published journal article in the Supreme Court Historical Society journal. So that's the level of scholarship I'm aiming for. And when you're doing that sort of work in history, you go to the archives and you go to the libraries and you're looking for original sources, primary sources. You'll use secondary sources to lead you to the primary sources or to add a little color. And that's how I've been doing the research for this podcast. Now, I take those sources and we go to the back porch and pull up a chair and tell a story about Texas history. We don't try to necessarily start with a journal article, but we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, by the way, I want to t- get off and tease a uh, episode uh, next week. We're going to have our first interview, and it's going to be with a professional PhD historian. So y'all stay tuned for that. And we're going to talk a lot about historical research. Today we're going to do something that we haven't done on Wise About Texas, and I'm going to tell you a very specific reason why. There is a brand new book from the University of North Texas Press, and it's called Convict Cowboys, The Untold Story of the Texas Prison Rodeo. And it is the first history of the Texas Prison Rodeo. And it was done by an author named Mitchell P. Roth, and Professor Roth teaches at Sam Houston State University. He's a professional historian, and he went through all the original records of the Texas Prison Rodeo and provided a much-needed history of that great jewel of Texas's past and so I got the book and uh, read it, and it was. Ju- I said we got to do an episode on the Texas Prison Rodeo because now we have a history, finally, and it, and it was such a unique and important part of the lives of Texans that that were growing up in the 30s through the 80s. Unlike the traditional uh, research trails that I would follow, I took Dr. Roth's book and just decided to, with permission of the University of North Texas, to, to pull from the book and create an episode and tell you all the stories of the Texas Prison Rodeo. Now, I'm not going to read the book to you. Don't worry. Uh, but we are going to talk about a lot of material that was in the book because it's really interesting. And I think it really captures a little piece of Texas history that we need to preserve. And that's the goal here at Wise About Texas. It's to preserve and promote Texas history. So here we go. Before we start talking about the rodeo, though, we need to talk about the a little bit about the origins of the Texas prison system. And as I say so often on this show, yes, we will do another episode in the future on the Texas prison system exclusively. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about how it started. In the Republic of Texas, we didn't have prisons. Uh, there were uh, a couple of bills that were tri- that the legislature or the Congress of the Republic tried to pass, uh, but as you may or may not realize, the Republic of Texas was broke for most of its existence, so building a prison was not a real high priority, and the, the felons that would normally go to prison were just housed by the counties in the county jails. Um, they couldn't get a bill through the Congress to pay for a prison system. There was finally a bill passed, in 1846 to fund a prison system, but then, of course, the Mexican War broke out, so that provided a a little interruption to that process. By 1848, and and that bill in 1846, it passed, uh, the funding was authorized and appropriated, the war interrupted the execution of it and the building of the prison. Well, in 1848, they started to build the prison, and they selected Huntsville, Texas, which... uh, I guess you would describe Huntsville as being on the western edge of East Texas. They finally got the prison started in 1848, and the first prisoner arrived in 1849. It was appropriately a horse thief convicted out of Fayette County. You know, it's funny. I talked in a couple of episodes. I've talked about the first court in the Republic of Texas, which was convened in Houston in 1837, and the first trial in the Republic of Texas was uh, for the theft of a pig. So livestock theft in Texas uh, was always a big deal and continues to be a big deal. So the first person incarcerated in the Texas prison system was a horse thief. He had been convicted in Fayette County. He came to the prison in 1849. Now, I've I've visited the Walls Unit, and being a judge, you know, you can get a tour of the prison since uh, many of my customers are there. So I've been up to the Walls Unit, and... The original prison building still stands. It's been encapsulated by another structure, a building that was sort of built around it. But the original cells are still there, and what's interesting about them is they face north. And when they were originally built, there was just a canvas tarp that they would put over the bars. They were essentially exposed to the elements. So uh, that's the sort of punishment that made prison pretty tough back then. In the mid-1800s, after the prison got up and running, they started the prison industries, which was a big deal in the Texas prison system, and it's still a very important part of it, where the inmates would make certain things. They'd gin cotton, they'd grow cotton, there was agriculture. Uh, Everybody talks about them making license plates, which they still do. They would make mattresses at the walls, they would uh, make all sorts of things, very interesting They make office furniture. There's a whole catalog you can get from Texas Prison Industries where you can order office furniture and and such as that. Now, I'm not sure how public that is. um, I don't think it's exclusive to state agencies, but uh, you can look up Texas Prison Industries. One of the phenomenons in recent years that we've had, uh, or at least I thought it was in recent years, was the notion of private prisons where private companies would, contract with the state to house inmates, and we call those private prisons, but that's actually not a new idea. Um, starting right after the Civil War, about 1867, the prison system would lease convicts to work in private industry. So you could come to the prison system as a company, like the railroads did, and say, we want to lease a bunch of workers, a bunch of prisoners. Well, and in, in, for six years, there was a firm in Galveston that leased the entire prison system. Now, I didn't delve down into those records, but I'm not sure that they administered the prison system, but they they leased the entire prison system, and I would imagine that was all the convict. Two other individuals out of Guadalupe County, Seguin, the county seat, they leased the entire prison system for another five years. Well, the, the convict lease system was finally ended in 1910, and you can imagine in our 2016 years how that sounds when you're leasing convicts private industry. The legislature put a stop to that in the early 1900s. In 1930, the Texas prison system got a new general manager, and his name was Marshall Lee Simmons. The prison system was in some serious financial trouble. Prison budgets in Texas are always an issue. They are still an issue in 2016. We're coming up to a 2017 legislative session, and I guarantee you prison funding is still going to be an issue. And uh, it was an issue back then. And in 1930, uh, they were in some serious financial trouble. They had barely enough money to run the system. They had no money for what were considered extras. Now, here are things that are considered extras. Dentures for inmates who needed them. Glasses for inmates who needed them. Any educational program. They couldn't fund any of that. Uh, Recreational opportunities for the convicts. They didn't have any money for any of that. Um, The convicts were working on prison farms. There was a massive prison farm system where they raised their own food and livestock, and that provided uh, some activity for the prisoners. And one of the theories on the science of penology is is keeping the convicts active uh, while they're in prison. And Simmons uh, agreed with that and wanted to keep them occupied. So he thought that a rodeo might be a good way to do that. That would provide something for the inmates to look forward to. It would provide recreational opportunities. It would provide competition. And it just might raise a little money for the prison system. So the first rodeo was going to be held in 1931, and it was intended to be just a one-time thing. It was called the Wild West Rodeo and Livestock Show. Now, if you'll remember back um, in my Cowboy Christmas episode back in July, when we talked about the origins of competitive modern-day rodeo, that the rodeo really was an offshoot of the old Wild West shows. And the 30s was the time when rodeo was just getting going, competitive rodeo. And it was becoming very popular. And so, 1931, they decided, we're going to have a Wild West show, Wild West rodeo and livestock show, and they were going to show the livestock that the prisoners had raised and such as that. Now, there was some vacant land just east of the Walls Unit in Huntsville, right next to it. So, they had some temporary wooden stands constructed, and they were going to produce the first rodeo. Now, in the last episode, I talked to the episode about Jacob Broadback and the flying the airplane in uh, Bernie, Texas. I talked about how historians love to bust other historians. Well, uh, Dr. Roth was no different in his book, Convict Cowboys. He talks about the fact that many people who have written articles about the Texas Prison Rodeo cite a newspaper called the Huntsville Humdinger as an authentic historical source for some information about that first rodeo. But the, But Dr. Roth actually... Talks about the fact that the Huntsville Humdinger was a 1967 uh, promotional flyer. Essentially, it wasn't a real newspaper. It was produced as a promotional item for the 1967 Texas Prison Rodeo. So, if you read articles about this and you see people citing to the Huntsville Humdinger as as authority for what went on at the early rodeos, then you're actually reading something that was that was 35 years later. The way they selected the convicts for the wild west rodeo and livestock show was they were uh, they had tryouts and they had to give them all a physical and the convict the most important part of the process probably for the prison system was that the convicts had to sign a release uh, to compete in the rodeo but of course everybody signed it because they were so excited to get out of the monotony of prison life that they just uh, they didn't blink at that well the rodeo was a big success And they decided to continue it, and it grew steadily. Um, Now, there was one little problem. They had the rodeo on a Sunday, and that didn't really sit too well with the folks in Huntsville. There was a lot of heat given to the prison system about having rodeos on the Sabbath, and that was somewhat of a controversy, but they continued to do it. Uh, They added another performance in 1933. And uh, unfortunately, in 1933, as Dr. Roth points out, there was the first and only, if you can believe it, only one death in the entire Texas prison rodeo. There was an inmate named H.P. Rich, who unfortunately died in the 1933 performance. But nevertheless, the rodeo continued to grow. Uh, They did cancel the rodeo one year in 1943 during World War II. And during World War II, uh, everything was unsettled that we had some rationing, and uh, they just thought 1943 would be a time that they would not have the rodeo. Uh, but it turned out that everybody really wanted it. So 1944, after some discussion, they cranked that rodeo back up. The rodeo, I mentioned earlier, was a significant outlet for these inmates, and they really wanted to participate. The prison life for the inmates in Texas in the 40s was not very good Uh, they were forced to work on the farms and uh, they worked extremely long hours and extremely hard labor there was a not a lot of enthusiasm in fact there was some uh, dr roth writes about an unfortunate set of circumstances where the prisoners would would hurt themselves they'd they'd, um, cut their achilles tendons or they'd otherwise maim themselves so they wouldn't have to be on the work crew well the rodeo really sort of turned that around they provided a an opportunity for everybody to work toward something that was actually fun. They, you know, labored to build the stands. They got in shape to try out for the rodeo. It was, a, it was a very significant event, not only for the spectators and for the city of Huntsville, but for the inmates in the show. And they would truck these inmates in from around the state so they could watch the rodeo. So you can imagine, if you're in prison, what a treat that would be. The other things they got to do were work on the stadium. There was a bigger brick and concrete stadium that was being built to accommodate the big crowds. Now, of course, with the big crowds comes your security problems. You got to remember one of the other treats for the inmates was these guys got to go to the rodeo and essentially mingle as much as possible with free world individuals because everybody sat in the same stands and the inmate sections were separated just by a a fairly small fence. In fact, lots of the crowd would throw coins and cigarettes to the inmates in and, and acts of perceived charity. I'm sure the officials sat around and wondered when somebody was going to throw a pistol over the fence, but that never happened. In fact, there weren't there wasn't really much trouble. Uh, the inmates that were brought in from the farms would uh, come through Houston, and so occasionally they'd wait until they got into some of that Houston traffic and bail out of the trucks and take off. But there wasn't any really major. Uh, security problems at the actual rodeo. There is one story from Professor Roth's, Roth's book that I thought was pretty funny. That in the 40s, three of the convicts had the brilliant idea to dress, get civilian clothes, which they got somehow, and they put them on under their white prison uniforms. And while they were sitting in the inmate section, they cut the fence, the bottom of the fence, in the inmate section, and they got under the stands somehow. And they started for the outside perimeter fence and as they were climbing the fence a guard came up and said hey what are y'all doing and so thinking quickly they said well we tried to crash the gate but you got too much security around here so and of course they had taken their white prison uniforms off and were wearing civilian clothing so the guard said well y'all better be real careful because you almost ended up in prison and I'm sure they chuckled and said well that wouldn't be good and they took off so that that escape was successful um, but despite that, they, the prison officials decided to try and move the rodeo around. And there were several proposals for this. But in 1950, Dallas came up with the idea of bringing the prison rodeo to Dallas. And so they thought about holding it in the cotton bowl, but they couldn't figure out how to secure the cotton bowl. So they scheduled eight performances in June of 1950 in the Fair Park Rodeo Arena. It was a huge success. They actually, in Fair Park at the Picnic Pavilion, built a prison camp uh, with dozens of armed guards, just kind of an ad hoc camp there at Fair Park, and housed the prisoners there. They performed at the rodeo arena. The male guards, by the way, lived in the dressing rooms of the Cotton Bowl, and that was a tremendous success. But the big, the big rodeo stadium at the Walls was finally finished by then. The rodeo was becoming bigger than the original concept of the Wild West Show and the Livestock Show, and they decided to expand the rodeo to include some more feature acts, more than just the actual Wild West Rodeo. So one of the acts that they wanted to feature was a parachutist for the grand finale. So for the 1953 show, they added a parachutist, and a parachutist was an inmate named Barney Thurman, or Thurman who had been a paratrooper in World War II before he decided to to check forging when he came back, and he was in prison for check forging. And the prison, by the way, had him working as a bookkeeper, so I'm not sure how good an idea that was. But anyway, that's what he was doing. So Barney Thurman signed up to be the paratrooper for the grand finale of the 1953 show. Now his practice jump turned out pretty well. When he went for his practice jump, he landed within dozens of feet of his target in the rodeo arena so that went well on his first jump um, and during an actual rodeo performance and his jump was supposed to be the grand finale he didn't quite make his target he landed on a brand new cadillac that was parked about a block away from the walls unit so that didn't work out too well for him or the cadillac well the second performer he got the second performance he got a little closer and he landed right outside the gates to the rodeo arena a little bit closer Still not exactly where they wanted him. Uh, The third performance was the worst. This is week number three. Jumps out. He lands in a pine tree near Oakwood Cemetery. And that's, of course, where Sam Houston is buried. And that's about a mile north of the rodeo arena, at least a mile. So that was a big miss. And uh, his last chance, They had four performances that year. So the last jump, he ends up landing on 10th Street, which is about two blocks from the rodeo arena. So that didn't really work out. Too well, and the next year they still wanted the parachute jump Now there was a flood of applications coming in from the inmates to be the parachutist. the uh, prison officials picked Bill Kennedy now Bill Kennedy also happened to be a forger uh, so I'm not sure what's going on with people that like how to jump out of airplanes also like to forge checks, but something was going on anyway well, this didn't work out Bill Kennedy turned out not to quite I don't know what he he might have forged his application because. His first try at the parachute jump, he landed by the Huntsville High School, which is a few blocks away. And then the other two jumps, he claimed he, the next two weeks, he claimed he was ill and couldn't jump. Then on his fourth jump, he couldn't make the jump. He got in the airplane, but his parachute opened inside the plane. Now, to me, that sounds like Mr. Kennedy pulled the ripcord a little early, but that's just my thought. I don't think he wanted to jump after that first one. Uh, the inmates, of course, coming to the rodeo had a great time. They weren't about to try to cause a lot of trouble. Uh, but sometimes they did get a little aggressive with the performers. There was a story that uh, in Convict Cowboys about an inmate doing a multi-decade sentence. His name was Bill Garrett, and he was a rodeo clown, and he was nicknamed Snuffy. And the reason he was nicknamed Snuffy was that he had um, tried to claim that he was an heir to the W.W. Garrett snuff fortune but didn't get anything out of it except a nickname. I guess he got an A for effort. Well, one day Snuffy was was performing and he ran right into the stands and right up to the governor of Texas, who at that time was Alan Shivers, and he had a Christmas stocking in his hand and he stuck it out to the governor. He said, Governor, put that pardon right there in that Christmas stocking for Christmas morning. And then he jumped out and headed right back down to the arena. So... Uh, security wasn't quite as tight as it could be, but the rodeo continued to be a success into the 60s. Um, of course, 60s in the South and in Texas was a time of desegregation in the civil rights era and eliminating the Jim Crow laws. And Interestingly, uh, the prison rodeo had been desegregated since 1931. So it was one of the only aspects of society in the South that was desegregated. And uh, I thought that was an interesting fact. And the prison system was still segregated, but the rodeo was not. The other thing that was interesting about the prison rodeo was they had a lot of the traditional rodeo events, but they also had some non-traditional rodeo events. One of them was chariot races, which I think are just great. We have chuck wagon races. That's kind of a traditional rodeo event now. But the chariot races were interesting because uh, sometimes the chariots were pulled by wild bulls. So you can imagine what that must have been like. Uh, they had wild wild mare milking. There was a great story in Dr. Ross' book about the one guy trying to cheat at the rodeo by bringing a milk-soaked sponge out to the wild horse milking contest. But the all-time favorite of all the Texas Prison Rodeo fans, and if any of y'all listening um, had been to the Texas Prison Rodeo, was the Hard Money event. The Hard Money event got the Texas Prison Rodeo its reputation as a tougher-than-nails rodeo and a lot tougher than others. The way you have a hard money event is you take a you take a bull, a bucking bull, and you tie they tied a bull durham tobacco sack between its horns and they'd put some money in the sack. And sometimes the fans or the the star performer who was performing at the rodeo or somebody would put a little extra money in that sack. And then they'd get a bunch of inmates out there and they called them red shirts because they all wore red shirts. They'd get out there, that bull would have that tobacco sack tied between its horns and they'd hit it with that cattle prod a couple times and get it out of the chute into the arena right there with the inmates and the inmates would try to get that sack off its horns so you can imagine what kind of mayhem that was and what kind of danger it was and but it was a good deal if you grabbed that sack because you had that money would go a long way in the prison commissary commissary. the tpr certainly was a tough rodeo and uh, dr roth points out that one inmate In particular, this was a great quote from an inmate named Glenn Gustafson. Gustafson competed 16 years in the Texas Prison Rodeo, and somebody was interviewing him and asked him if it had been worth it, and here's what he said, quote, Well, I've been kicked, stomped, bruised, and battered, had my ribs, nose, and arm broken, but after all, a guy's got to have a hobby. Close quote. So that's a cowboy right there. And I think Gustafson probably summed it up for most of the prisoners that competed in the rodeo. They needed a hobby, and the Texas Prison Rodeo provided it. Well, one of the other features of the prison rodeo was the celebrity performers. That was an addition that they thought would really up their game and, and attract more people to the show. The, some of the celebrity performers um, that came to the rodeo would come just to make an appearance. John Wayne came to the prison rodeo. James Arness, who played Marshall Dillon on Gunsmoke, came to the rodeo. was very popular. One of the most popular was Dan Blocker, who played Hoss Cart Ride on Bonanza. And then one interesting fact that Dr. Roth reveals about Dan Blocker is he was scared to death of horses. They had to find this just gentle horse that he could ride. So I'm not sure how that worked on the set of Bonanza, but that was just a little tidbit. One of the most popular performers was actually a former inmate of the prison system, It was a female, and her name was Juanita Dale Slusher. Her stage name was Candy Barr, and she was a burlesque dancer from Edna, Texas. She went into Goree Prison, which at that time in the 50s, she went in in 59. At that time, Goree was a woman's prison. Now it's mixed. But she agreed to perform at the rodeo in exchange for a job in the prison library while she was an inmate, which must have been, you know, a pretty easy job. And she performed at three rodeos, and uh, she even came back after she made parole. She came back and performed. She was very popular. Another frequent celebrity visitor was uh, Dizzy Dean, who was good friends with the then prison director Pete Caulfield, and he was a very popular attraction. He he always said that the prison rodeo wasn't the most sophisticated rodeo, but it was the roughest and the finest. So I guess that sort of describes Dizzy Dean himself. Willie Mays, a couple other baseball players. Willie Mays came one year. Mickey Mantle came one year. Now, but I think there's one celebrity performer that's the most interesting story of the Texas Prison Rodeo and of the performers written about in Convict Cowboys. I think this is the most interesting. In 1959, now the the different interviews, uh, the years are confused, but the prison records show 1959. He came to the Texas Prison Rodeo. He was paid $2,000, uh, which was less, by the way, than James Arness uh, was paid that year, and Arnest didn't even sing. So this singer had a hit song that he'd written after seeing a movie about San Quentin, and that song was Folsom Prison Blues. And that up-and-coming singer was Johnny Cash. Well, Cash, uh, in a in a later interview, re- remembered that day and that it started raining. And uh, Cash, at that time, had a band called the Tennessee Two, and his. Uh, Guitar player's amp burned up and burned out in the rain, and the bass that that his bass player was playing came apart in the rain. So Cash was just sitting there singing as loud as he could with his guitar, and uh, the inmates were pushing down to hear Folsom Prison blues because he really connected with them. Cash always said that he had never had such a response, even on his best nights at the Louisiana Hayride and the Grand Ole Opry. He never had the kind of response that he had that day in Huntsville and it really made an impression on him and that's what started Johnny Cash doing all those prison shows for which he later became famous all those concerts many of which were recorded and Johnny Cash testified in front of Congress about prison reform and he wore black all the time for the prisoners and he was just thought to be he was a great advocate for the prisoners and it was that day in Huntsville Texas that started it all he recorded by the way that Um, probably his most famous recording it live from San Quentin where uh, if you'll remember one of the inmates at that show was Merle Haggard who we lost this year. So uh, some classic country music performances coming out of that situation and it all started in Huntsville, Texas at the Texas Prison Rodeo. Eventually several factors of the changing times caught up with the prison rodeo, there was a lot of concern about liability issues in connection with the rodeo. Uh, the arena by the 80s needed some very extensive repairs uh, that, of course, once again, the prison system didn't really have the budget to, to pay for. Uh, it was decided that the rodeo would end in 1986. And one of the, one of the funny postscripts to the whole rodeo situation is they tried to tear that arena down And it was so solid, they couldn't even wreck it. It took years before that arena was finally torn down, but it was just in the last few years that the arena was torn down and replaced by a parking lot, and another Texas icon was gone. Well, the Texas Prison Rodeo provided a lot of entertainment. It provided entertainment for inmates and a way to get out of the monotony of prison life. It provided entertainment for hundreds of thousands of Texans and was an iconic event in the festival season that is October in Texas. If you want to learn more about the Texas Prison Rodeo, go pick up a copy of Convict Cowboys, The Untold History of the Texas Prison Rodeo by Dr. Mitchell P. Roth. It's a great history of the prison rodeo, and it it really provides some insight into the prison system and into an event that will uh, live on as a legendary part Of the Texas landscape. Well, now we come to the part of the show called Getting There, where I tell you how to get to some of the places and see some of the sites we talked about in the episode. First of all, uh, I don't want to tell you how to get to prison. There are several ways, but believe me, you don't want to go. So I think the most you want to do is maybe drive by the Huntsville unit. And the Huntsville unit is 815 12th Street in Huntsville, Texas. It's right near downtown. And just to the east of that unit is where the arena was. Now there's a parking lot in that area, but uh, you can drive by the walls and you can see why it's called the walls and see where those rodeo crowds gathered for 50-plus years. A site you don't want to miss in Huntsville is the Texas Prison Museum. It's located at 491 Highway 75 North, which is north of town. They've got some great displays of artifacts from the prison system. They've got a wonderful gift shop. You can take your picture in a cell. They've even got the old electric chair on display, old Sparky. And that's a site you'll want to check out. They also have a website, txprisonmuseum.org, and you should check that out, and you can order custom-made items made by the prisoners themselves. So I, I'd suggest that that's about as close as you ever want to get to being inside the Texas prison system. And if you want more information about the stories That I took this episode from, go pick up a copy of Dr. Mitchell Roth's Convict Cowboys, The Untold Story of the Texas Prison Rodeo. And I sincerely appreciate the University of North Texas allowing me to pull from that book for this episode and for publishing a much-needed history of the Texas Prison Rodeo. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. I want to thank the patrons of the show for all your support. It's allowed me to get some equipment that's necessary to conduct some interviews. I'm going to be on my way to Austin tomorrow to do just that for our next episode and talk a little more in-depth about the professional study of Texas history. And if you think this podcast is worth a buck or two a month, go over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash wiseabouttexas and throw a little support towards the preservation and promotion of Texas history. It's that patron support that's allowing this show to continue to be very well received and to expand. And I'm looking forward to continuing my efforts to preserve the history of the great state of Texas. We'll go out and enjoy some of this cool fall Texas weather. Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.